Being Reasonable, now heard on WHUP LP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. Fasten your I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs, and we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we speak with senior pastor at Temple Baptist Church, Mark Mofield, who discusses his belief that there is an element of faith that can only be experienced through the means of a community. So let's speak with Pastor Mark Mofield. But first, a quick note. My home station, WHUP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, is currently running what we call a 50-50 fundraiser. That is to say, half of the proceeds from our fall fundraiser will help support Orange County musicians who have been struggling to make ends meet. Being Reasonable Radio Program proudly supports this effort. To contribute, please visit whupfm.org and click the donate button. Thanks for your support of independent radio and especially those local musicians facing tough economic times. And now, on with the show. Are you saying that the most important aspect of faith is not what you believe, it's the group of people who you share that faith and set of beliefs with? I think I would say it maybe that who you share it with is as important as what you are sharing together. Maybe if you gave me an example, okay, I'd understand. When I think about the last six months as a pastor of a local congregation, there's a lot of time and effort uh, that before March of 2020 was poured into programming, was okay. poured into planning events and right. activities. But over the last, over these six months, what I have heard from most of my congregants okay. is that what they miss is not programs and activities. I see. It is the sense of being with other people. Right. Um, they miss that relationship. They miss that connection that they that they feel not only to one another, but that something within that connection, that that presence with one another is revelatory of the presence of God in their life. So you're saying that people go to church for different reasons, one reason why people would go to church is because of the faith, the belief, the sets of religious principles that are there. Right. But another reason why people would go to church 
is to understand their faith through the bonds yep. they have with other people. Yes. Yes. I think that, yeah. I think what if there's something that we have learned in the last six months, it is that, shall we say, the ideas, the tenets of faith can certainly be taught in a variety of ways through a variety of methods and tools that in some cases the churches we've we've perhaps never really explored before mm-hmm. and that this has made us do. Right. But there is something else that really can only be found in that commu- in, in a community. There's only there's there's some aspect element of faith that is beyond just the ideas and tenets and principles. There is some experience of faith that can't be captured in a podcast or a, a virtual worship recording or or a, or a, a you know a, or something like there's something in that communal experience that that is essential that is key to the experience of faith and maybe we're making sure that we're talking about the same thing mm-hmm. by faith what do we mean i'm obviously as a christian i'm defining that as a belief in a belief in god as revealed through his son jesus christ that's my definition. Faith is when, belief. Right. When I'm thinking about faith, that's obviously the perspective that I'm coming from. So what do you think it is about people sharing faith that brings you closer to a truth as opposed to people having a faith by themselves? I think in one sense, it's the in community, we are put into a place where we are made to practice the idea. Jesus says the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's one thing for me to know that those are the two greatest commandments, but now put me in a community of other people. And now it's not just about, do I know this in my head? Now it becomes, so what does that look like in practice? What does that look like in reality? Are you saying that people who share beliefs or their faith, are likely to have a stronger faith than people who have beliefs and faith in a vacuum by themselves? I think it's a great question. As a pastor, I've known a lot of folks in my life and in my ministry who I've encountered who have said, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I don't need church in order to have those, those beliefs. And they're right. They don't necessarily need church to have those beliefs. But at the same time, I think that there is an an element of following Christ, an element of the life that God has created us to live that is missed out on when we think, I don't need a community to have these beliefs. I don't need a community to have this faith. When I look at even just the very beginnings of the Bible, what are we told in Genesis? We're told that God creates the creation story where God creates Adam, and God looks at Adam, and the first thing he says is, it's not good for him to be alone. How much do you think that is because, let's say I happen to move to a neighborhood where everybody just so happens loves the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. Well, after being around people who love the Pittsburgh Steelers, I, after a while, I share that view. Right. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. Do you think that's an element of it, or is it something else going on? 
I think there certainly the community provides an environment for nurturing faith in others, especially in moments and times where perhaps left to my own devices, faith can be a struggle. Sometimes as, as Christians, when we encounter a brother or sister who is he's really going through a real time of, of struggle and doubt in their faith, uh, wondering if God is caring about them, wonder if God is paying any attention to them, that sometimes one of the things that uh, best encouragements that we can offer is to say, I understand that you're struggling. I understand why you're struggling. Just know I'm going to believe for you now so that you can cry and yell and shout and ask your questions. But no, I'm going to believe for you. I'm going to believe on your behalf and, and hope that together we can find a place back to where you don't have that doubt, you don't have that uncertainty. So I think there's certainly a place for that nurturing. But at the same time, let's say you move into that neighborhood where everybody's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and you were born and raised in Cleveland, and you're a Cleveland Browns fan, and you've yeah. always been a Cleveland Browns fan, and you're right. always going to be a Cleveland Browns fan. Sometimes co- community also is the place where we allow for difference of opinion. When you have two congregants, let's say, who come to you with opposing views of what is said in the scripture, mm-hmm. how do you yourself go about analyzing or knowing what is true? It's mm. a tough one. It is with an emphasis on humility. It is the understanding that none of us has reached perfection. None of us has gotten it all figured out. There is an aspect of faith which always brings us into encounter with mystery, forces us to recognize that there is a limit to what we are able to see and understand. Do you have an example like when you've read scripture a certain way and then something happened and you read it a different way? I've been a Baptist all my life. And throughout, I guess, especially the last 40 years, there has been a a back and forth, so to speak, within Baptist circles about whether or not women can be ordained into the ministry. That was a, shall we say, a debate that was very much a, maybe I I would have considered something that was an academic topic Uh until the time came that the church that I was growing up in uh, wanted to ordain my mother as a uh, minister. And at that point, it became a very personal issue for me. But I think what I realized was that was the first moment when my church made that decision and she accepted that call that I understood that there were people who thought differently from that. You know, it was the first time, shall we say, I found myself in conflict. And like I said, and I guess for me, it was because the conflict became personal and not just, you know, without a name, just a, you know, just a, an idea, a concept. Mm-hmm. It became a very personal conflict for me. Um, but what happened was that as I, as I found that, A, I, had, I learned I had to get past, shall we say, my own defensiveness. But then the other thing that I had to do was it, it made me look at, okay, someone who's arguing a different perspective, why are they arguing that perspective? Why, why were they arguing that perspective, do you think? Because there, were, there are passages in the scriptures that uh, one can interpret to say that the ministry is a role reserved only for men. So they're using there's, there's, script, yeah, they're, they're the quoting passages, a lot, several passages from like the letters of Paul. Uh, where what, what were you using to counter that in your mind? Other passages from the letter from letters of Paul, 
I was also looking at um, a passage like in the, in the Old Testament book of Joel. I looked at the fact that Paul addresses several women uh, in his letters as deacons and as leaders of the church. And so uh, there were several different passages that I looked at and I realized, hey, I believe that this fully supports the fact that God can call a woman into the ministry just as, as clearly as he can call a man. If there are a sizable number of people in a congregation who believe that, let's say women should not become pastors and they have scripture passages that they use, and there's another sizable proportion of the congregation that believes pretty much the opposite, that passages don't support that Mm -hmm. view, then how do we go about deciding what is true, what's real? This is where I come back to why I think the role of community is so important is because we have to be willing to sit down with one another and say, all right, let's talk through this. Let's, let's look through this. Let's study these, this together. Let's research this together. Let's pray through this together. Let's listen for the voice of God in this together. Because by doing that, it, it forces me to, it forces me as the individual believer to maybe see a bigger picture of Scripture than I might normally think about, might normally comprehend. It forces me to at least put aside or, or at least recognize what assumptions I'm making uh, and how some of those assumptions might be incorrect, might be off base. Uh, it forces me to, to consider that maybe, just maybe, someone else's perspective is inspired by God, inspired by His Holy Spirit, and therefore, I need to listen to that. I, I shouldn't just write it off out of hand. Let's suppose I'm a new congregant, mm-hmm. and I don't have a dog in the fight, mm-hmm. and I join, and this is going on, that mm-hmm. you know, some people think that women can be pastors, and some people think women should not be pastors. Mm-hmm. And I join, and I just want to do whatever is correct. I want to know what is true, mm-hmm. and I want to follow what is true true. Mm-hmm. Are both sides just opinions, or is there a bigger truth there that exists whether we exist or not, or you know, we're talking about it or not? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> All right. I do believe that, yes, there is truth. So I, there's an answer there. There is an answer. I do believe there is an answer to this, to all of these questions. How do we know, like, let's say the congregation talks about it, and I'm not saying which is correct, but whatever is not the truth, the congregation arrives at that. How would we know that that had happened, or would we? You know, I, and, and here's where I say, I guess my Baptist roots are going to shine through a little bit here. Yeah. As a Baptist, historically, we have said the Scripture is the inspired Word of God. Each individual believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit to read and interpret the Scripture. Okay. Each local congregation is empowered by the Spirit to make decisions for how that congregation is going to operate and how it's going to believe. Okay. And so, from my Baptist perspective, what I would say is, if the congregation can point to Scripture and say, this is what we believe, this is what the Scripture says, this mm-hmm. is how we interpret the Scripture, we have prayerfully discerned and listened to the voice of God, um, then 
as a Baptist, I affirm that 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 is how the Spirit is speaking to that congregation. So you're saying the Holy Spirit is telling people different things? I, I'm what I'm saying is is that um, I, I don't know that I don't know that it's the Holy Spirit is telling us different things. I think it is again. This is where I come back to that there is that element of faith that is always mystery, um, and in some places we we bounce up against that wall of mystery, and we're shall we say we do our best to listen, we do our best to interpret, yeah. we do our best to understand. Sure. Um, but we always have to come back to that place of, but I don't have all the answers. Only God ultimately knows that answer. I'm going to try to be as faithful as I can in living out the answers that I'm able to discern. But how do we decide where God is coming back? down on an issue such as this. It seems like it's an important issue. Uh, and I really am trying to understand how no, it works. It, yeah. it, 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 I guess what I would say is, if because uh, I guess I, what I'm hearing in you is, is, is it, you know, the question is, it, is it possible to come down on the wrong side? Right. And the answer is yes. Okay. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, in the mid-19th century uh, was fully supportive of, of an individual's rights to own slaves. Yeah. Um, now, a few years ago, they came out and they said, you know what? We were wrong. We got it wrong then. The, it is, so, so, but, but that doesn't change the fact that, yeah, in the mid-19th century, they looked at Scripture, they looked at, they, they, they prayerfully and, and faithfully made a decision, yeah, we believe it's okay right. for a Christian to own slaves. And they were wrong about it. And so is it possible to, shall we say, come down on the wrong place? Yeah, it is. Well, let's say if you believe that women should be pastors and let's say you were wrong, I'm not saying that's the case, but if you were wrong, how would you know you were wrong about that? We continue our conversation with senior pastor at Temple Baptist Church, Mark Mofield, as he discusses his belief that there is an element of faith that can only be experienced through the means of a community coming up after this short break. My home station, WHUP, is currently running what we call a 50-50 fundraiser where half of the proceeds will help support Orange County musicians who have been struggling due to the coronavirus. To contribute, please visit whupfm.org and click the donate button. Thanks for your support of independent radio and especially those local musicians facing tough economic times. Well, let's say if you believe that women should be pastors and let's say you were wrong, I'm not saying that's the case, but if you were wrong, how would you know you were wrong about that? I think that's... I think... I think that that comes about uh, through a always being open to every answer that you have re being ready to revisit that answer. So let's say I read the scriptures and I say, you know what? I believe as I interpret the scripture, as I understand as, as my community, as we have worked through this passage, we believe God can call women and and to to the ministry, and therefore we believe it's you know we believe we believe and practice the ordination of women as pastors. Right. Now I might not be correct here, but 
would that give me license to believe in anything as long as I say to myself that I am open to change that belief? I don't believe so. And again, this is where I come back. You know, I'm going to let my Baptist, yeah, yeah. my Baptist root shine through. Because again, for Baptists, the answer was always, can you turn to Scripture and find, shall we say, foundation for your belief in Scripture? Can you, as a believer, stand within community with other believers and say, we believe this is what the Lord is speaking? Um, and so that just seems like people are believing in not different things, but in this case, they're believing in opposite things. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah, trying to understand how they are. And that's why, and that's why there's a Baptist church on every street corner. That's <laughs> why there's <laughs> right. about, uh, you know, there's, that's why there's the Southern Baptist convention, the cooperative Baptist fellowship, the Alliance of Baptists. Uh, uh, there's sure. a lot of different, shall yeah. we say, uh, family units underneath the big Baptist umbrella. So you're saying the reason why there's so many different kinds of sects and different brands of Christianity or any religion for that matter is because using that method, it's difficult to find out what is universally true, what is objectively true, what is true for everybody. That's a difficult way to find that out. I, I, I believe that all these, all these different groups exist because you have had, shall we say, you've had folks who have come together around a common core of ideas, but there's a this group sees things differently from this group in some, not in every area, but in some areas. And that those areas where they saw things differently, they could not find a way to stay unified together. And so they felt it was best to establish their own right. communities of faith. Those issues were, they couldn't resolve them. And they couldn't. They felt they were too significant to be able to move forward together from. So does that mean? And I'm not saying which community, but one community by splitting apart is moving away from whatever the universal objective truth is. Then the other community, and they might not know. You might know where you are, but one might not be. Might be falling away from central tenets, and one might be moving closer. It could be. It could also be. Both of them are are yeah, off course, sure. just off off base in different areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and 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 I think that's where that concept of 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 community and relationship, even with those that we disagree with, right, becomes so important. So maybe this will help me see where you're coming from. Let's say sitting next to you is Tony, and Tony practices voodoo. Mm -hmm. He thinks by sticking pins and dolls, we're going to get to a greater truth. Mm -hmm. And let's say sitting next to Tony is not you, but a, a member of your church, let's say Julie. And Julie believes kind of the central tenets of baptism, whatever they're understood to be. Are they both getting at what's universally true? Or is one person way off and just don't understand or don't have a grasp on what is universally true? Mm -hmm. You know? I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to that question with the example of a, of a story from the Gospel of John, and Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well. Now, if you just walked up to the scene right. as just somebody walking along, what you would have seen was a Jewish guy and a Samaritan woman talking with one another. Okay. Well, that was something that didn't happen in that day and time. The Jewish people and the Samaritan people. 
did not like one another. Oh. They did not get along with one another. Okay. And the Jews looked at the Samaritans almost like half-breeds as, as interlopers, and the Samaritans looked at the Jews as, you know, hey, you know, who are y'all? We're, we're the ones who got this figured out. What are y'all doing? Well, that's what I want to know. I want to know Tony, who practices voodoo, and Julie, who practices a Baptist tradition in Christianity, what is it that they're sharing? I always look at that story as this kind of really amazing dialogue because what happens, what I see there is that when Jesus begins this conversation, he doesn't come to the Samaritan woman and say, you're wrong, and this is all the reasons why you're wrong. Uh-huh. Instead, what he does is he comes to her and says, can I have something to drink? He comes to her with a shared need. I'm thirsty. Well, it's by the, the, seeing, well, so Tony, who practices voodoo, and he's thirsty, and he goes and gets a drink from a shared well— how does the need of being thirsty relate to the truth value of the belief? So the so in, and so in, in the situation that you've put put forward there, the question I would ask is, Tony, what is it about voodoo that is speaking to you, that is nurturing you, that is nourishing you? What is it that help me understand what it is that is providing a foundation for your life in that practice? My guess is that in that conversation, Tony's gonna is going to reveal a need that's like, you know what? I have that same need. For me, I have found my need met through my faith in Christ. And this is how that need, how that need gets met. So shall we say underneath that, you know, where, where that conversation takes place is there is within both of us a shared, some sense of need. There's something that is being met, some common experience that we have. Shall we say, is there a, a, a moving towards a larger truth? Yes, there is. And that larger truth is starting with the whatever it is within us that is yearning for something more, yearning for something greater. Let's say that I believe, and you might have heard this example before, but I believe that Buddy Holly is a real God. Buddy Holly was a musician, he died, and now he rose, and he's a god. And I believe that he's a god and does everything that gods do. And I believe that Buddy Holly is a god, and I get my needs fulfilled from Buddy Holly. But what does that say about Buddy Holly being a real god? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, I would say, again, I would challenge the, uh, shall we say, the uh, I might challenge the belief system. Uh, just how we say the. the, the shall, I might yeah. challenge the manifestation of the belief system well, uh, that me, Buddy Holly is Buddy Holly's a god. Well, tell me how. I mean, tell me, like, what do you know about my belief about Buddy Holly that I don't know? What I don't, I may not know about your belief, but what right. I would, what I would know is what is it about Buddy Holly as God that is speaking into your life? What is it? Is it that his music? Bring, br- brings you joy, and, and that joy is something that, that maybe you, you've struggled to find in other places. Okay, well, you know what? I can understand that. There are times when joy is hard for me to find. Let me tell you how I've found joy. Let me tell you how I've experienced joy. But to me, um, that would say that I experienced joy from Buddy Holly, but Buddy Holly still might not be a real God. It's just, he's just beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. What if I said, I believe that Buddy Holly is a God because aside from my needs being met, Buddy Holly is a God, right? I mean, how do we know at that point, how can we decide 
if we want to get to a greater truth, what do we do at that point? Or is there anything we can do at that point? Well, I think that's where you start to move into the into the realm of what I'm going to call revelation. Okay. Uh, and I'm not talking about the book of the Bible revelation. I'm talking about the concept of revelation. Okay. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why do I believe this? I believe this because the risen Christ appeared to a woman in the garden on that first Easter Sunday, appeared to the disciples uh, in the days following uh, his crucifixion, revealed himself to be alive, even though he had been placed in, you know, placed in the ground, in, in the ground dead. Uh, I, you know, he ascended to heaven in, in front of other disciples. They told that story. They passed that testimony down. Right. And so at its core, there was a, revel- a, a revelatory moment, and witnesses to that revelation have passed that testimony down, and I have accepted the as as authentic the um, the testimonial trail that's been created. In your in the Buddy Holly example, uh, okay, tell me t- tell me what's the what what's the revelation of of, sure. of, of that Buddy Holly has given to? Well, let's say my um, grandfather believed that Buddy Holly was God, and he saw Buddy Holly appear before him, and then my father saw Buddy Holly as God, and Buddy Holly actually talked to him, and Buddy Holly actually talked to me, and. I experienced a revelation that way down our family line, let's suppose. And so we all believe it. Let's say, just for the purposes of this thought experiment, let's say Buddy Holly is not a god. He's a dead musician. Mm -hmm. How could I know that? How could I find that out? And again, I want to know what's true in a universal sense. Is there a way? Is there a test I could do? Is there... and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like, it seems reasons why you're telling me that you know something is true, I could use for my thought experiment, and I'm trying to know how we could differentiate, right? Yeah, I think it's a—you're not wrong. I, I, what, I'll say, what I'll say is this. I, I, say, I, I, you know, I see where you're—as uh, you, know, you say, where your thought experiment is, is trying to get to. Right. Um, I don't know that I don't know if there is a a process. Yeah. I don't know if there is a you know a a, a, a procedure that that I could lay out to say okay uh, this is how your understanding is going to be overcome uh, by a different understanding. Well, let me put it this way: if my belief was false, and let's say it is, and let's say if it's false, I do want to know that it's false. I don't want to believe in something that's not true. Right. How could I go about knowing that that belief is false? I'm gonna, uh, and and I'm gonna try to not ramble here. I'm gonna try to be concise as I can. Sure. I think first off, you can know that if, shall we say, through a different revelatory experience. So I'm gonna use the example of the Apostle Paul, who was a devout Jew, Pharisee, arrested Christians, sought to stop the Christian church before it really even got started has this amazing revelatory moment where the risen Lord appears to him on the road to Damascus. And in that moment, he goes from persecutor of the church to really the church's first world missionary. He had this transformative moment of revelation. My first response in terms of how do you how would your that faith system that we're going to say is wrong, how do I learn that? How do I discern that? to move towards truth, 
I personally believe there's a, shall we say, A, there's a revelatory experience that is a part of it. There is an act of, you know, faith is a response to an act of God in, in many ways. Is it possible for someone to be a Christian and then to have a revelatory experience and then become Jewish? I'm just using sure. the opposite yeah. of what you say. Yes. So if it's possible to have a revelatory experience to show you what is true, and that is a primary reason you know what is true, and these experiences can go either way, what does it say about what is true? What it says is that truth is, is a hard thing to capture. Hmm. It is a hard thing to pursue. It right. is a hard thing to grab hold of. However, my response would be, but that doesn't mean you don't still try. Yeah. Um, because it's in that pursuit of truth that I feel we ultimately answer the call that was created within us from the very beginning. And that's why I say ultimately faith takes us to that place and that the boundaries of, of what we can know and understand and rubs us right up against mystery. We can't take mystery out of it. We can't try to make all the mystery go away. There's always going to be a part of me, but it's that mystery that keeps us going, that keeps yeah. us searching, that keeps us asking, that keeps us listening. Um, if we know things and we get to a point where we don't know something, it becomes a mystery. Is the correct default position, I don't know this thing, so therefore I won't have a belief about it until... There is evidence to show me to believe in this thing, or is the correct default position, I will believe in this until I am shown to believe otherwise? Mm. <laughs> I think there is, uh, <laughs> I think there's the answer that we think we should give, and then I think there is, I, I, I think there's the answer that that is the answer that we should give. Well, I want to know what you believe. I am, uh, you, you've heard me say, I guess, several times talking about you know, mystery. I, I guess I've always found more and more that, that place of uh, what uh, Hebrews defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I guess for me, I don't believe that faith is my living through each day going, okay, come on, bring me something to prove me wrong. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think that's the faith experience. Um, is there anything that could show you that you were wrong? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think faith is open to always learning. Faith is always open to being molded and shaped. Faith is always open to, to admitting where you are wrong. But even in saying that, there is also that piece of faith that is assurance, that is conviction, that is, this is, you know, shall we say, if maybe, maybe the best way to say it is to use the word commitment. Mm -hmm. I have committed myself to a path and I'm going to be open to the fact that maybe along the way, I'm going to find that my path is going to have to veer, is going to have to uh, maybe take a, 
uh, you know, a, a 180 uh, that it's going to, you know, that I'm going to, I'm going to think I'm headed this way and right. I'm going to be, I'm going to learn, no, I need you to go this way. Um, so you commit you, to the path first and then if you need to veer either way, then there are mechanisms to help you do that. For me, I'm always concerned when we, faith is defined as as assurance and conviction, but over and over again, and again, I, I can I can only speak out of out of my heritage as a, as a Christian. As a, over and over again, when when I read through the Christian scriptures, what I'm struck by is how many times God enters into the scene and says, "Hey, you know what?" I, 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 uh, this thing you're you're just sure about uh, you 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 need to you need to change path you need to go a different way yeah. um, you know you're not headed the way you need to head. So you're saying back to the example earlier on that when you were talking about your mother, if someone in the congregation was able to show you passages or a series of passages that would show that would say, hey, this is really not what God intended, then you would change your belief on that. It's one of those things where if someone brought brings to me those passages, I am put into a position where, A, I either have to be able to account for an alternative inter- interpretation of those passages that is reasonable and that is faithful to the larger witness of Scripture. B, I have to be willing to say, all right, you know what, I'm just ignoring those passages to choose these passages over here. Or C, I have to be willing to say, you know what? Maybe my understanding isn't all the way correct, and and you know well, if you're talking to another pastor of another Baptist church, and I'm sure you've met pastors like this, and they take they say they take the Bible literally, literally. of it's inerrant. What God intended to say is said, mm-hmm. and that pastor says you're playing loose with the facts. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that's happened before. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you? How do you resolve that in your mind? My first response would uh, would be to say, okay, how do you account for, and I might pull out a passage that would argue against a position that they are uh, that they are saying the Bible literally says this. I would say, well, then how do you account for this verse, this passage? Sometimes I, I find that those who claim they are literally following the Scripture are only literally following certain parts of Scripture, yeah. um, the parts of Scripture they prefer, uh, and, and ignoring other parts. Um, but they could they say that about you? In they the could sense say the same thing about me. Yeah, I'm sure they would only, say. Not only are you not following Scripture, you're just kind of making it up. You're yep. saying this is subjective yep. and that's subjective. Yep. That 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 the same accusation has been and could be brought again uh, for me and uh, and others who share some of the same ideas that I do. Yeah. No doubt about it. Right. Um, but. So, but so, but like I said, but that's just yeah. I said that's the first the yeah, first yeah. response. Yeah. Um. But I, then I think at the same time, taking the conversation to the next level, and that level is okay. So what's let's talk about what's at stake here. Okay. Uh. Let's talk about um how significant is this issue? We're talking about women in ministry. Is this a a critical issue, or is this maybe a secondary issue that is of not that is not of great great value. Now, like I said, for me, I, I, I see that as a primary issue for a number of reasons. Well, let me ask you this question. So with the Baptist minister who takes the Bible more literally, in a literal sense, I'm sitting here and I'm talking with you and I'm talking with him, and I ask you both this question, all things remaining equal, 
Would you rather have evidence for the things you believe or think, or would you have faith for the things that you believe or think? First, how would you answer that question? And do you think your counterpart would answer it similarly? I think that's a really good question. I think there is always something within us that wants to say to God, prove it to me. It's hard for us to escape that demand for evidence. It's hard for us to escape that demand uh, for, you know, show me this is who you really are. Show me what this, this is what you really mean. However, as I think about it, I hope I would answer that I would rather have the faith because there's a part of me that thinks that there's a certain amount of awe that's lost with the with the proof. It's kind of like when you learn how the magician does his magic trick, you're not as impressed by the trick. Now, I'm not saying that that God is a magician, but some of the awe, some of the wonder is lost because you know the mechanics. And I believe that there's a certain amount of faith that is meant to inspire awe and wonder. So I guess that would lead me to a question of how important is truth to you? Because if I, let's say, see a magician saw a woman in half, and I think it's a great trick and it inspires awe in me, but I really want to know it's true. I want to know if he really saw that woman in half and that's the truth, or there's some magic and this is a sleight of hand, it's not true, and I want to know that too. Mm -hmm. So in your case, is truth the most important thing or are there other things more important? We continue our conversation with senior pastor at Temple Baptist Church, Mark Mofield, as he discusses his belief that there is an element of faith that can only be experienced through the means of a community, coming up after this short break. My home station, WHUP, is currently running what we call a 50-50 fundraiser, where half of the proceeds will help support Orange County musicians who have been struggling due to the coronavirus. To contribute, please visit whupfm.org and click the donate button. Thanks for your support of independent radio and especially those local musicians facing tough economic times. In your case, is truth the most important thing or are there other things more important? I think, I think truth is the most important thing. I think what I would say, though, is that I guess my understanding of truth I think about more than just knowing all the answers. I think the truth with a capital T is something that inspires and commissions and invites. It is something that truly engages every aspect of my experience as a human being. So it seems like we might be discussing truth with a capital T with different definitions. Because when I think of truth with a capital T, so for example, you see chickens running around the yard, there's an even or odd number of chickens. I don't know what the truth is. I don't know what the answer is, but there is a truth there. There is reality there Mm -hmm. that reflects what's really going on. And that truth, the way I see truth with a capital T, and please tell me if I'm not seeing this correctly, 
that truth doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I believe. It's there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's when I'm thinking truth of capital T. I don't really see it as having any relationship with me, Mm -hmm. per se. And here's what I would say. Truth is not changed by what I believe about it. Yeah. Truth is truth. Right. Truth exists whether I experience it or encounter it or not. Yeah. I guess how I view it is that when I encounter a moment where of what I'm going to call the divine, when I have one of those holy moments in my life, I know that I have been changed. I know I have been impacted. I know I have been moved in some way. When we're talking about the truth of the divine God in and through creation, it should be a moment that I can still talk about 50 years down the road. And I may, I may only ever get one or two of those stories in my lifetime. But that one or two stories is something where I encounter, you know what, there is something more than me here. My understanding of, of, that, of that concept of truth is indeed that it is something that changes us when we encounter it. And I get completely where you're coming from. I think to discover a universal objective truth is a powerful thing to happen. I think where I am left with is that I'm wondering if it's possible for people who have personal truths to confuse them with universal truths, you know? Yes. And, 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 and I think, yes, it is. I think that's where the experience of community is so important because that's what keeps me from making my personal perspective on truth from becoming an idol of universal truth. Well, I'm trying to understand with community. I mean, does the number of people who believe in something have an effect on that thing being universally true? It could seem like you'd have a whole, you could have a whole community believe in something, yet that is a subjective still belief. You could, you could. Yeah. But I, but I think the, 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 the idea is not do enough people believe in it okay. that it's true. Okay. It's more about just the willingness to engage, the, to engage in the conversation at all. It's in having a group of people who you are who are willing to to in, engage in the dialogue, to ask these kind of questions yeah. of one another at whatever level. Because um, I would imagine it could be argued that while engaging in a community that you're a part of can get you closer to the truth, it would seem that you could also argue that engaging in a community of people who believe in wildly different things could get you there too, because you're experiencing a whole wider range of mm-hmm. possibilities. I don't know. I just... Yeah. Well, I mean, again, this is kind of a limited example, but I'm a graduate of Duke Divinity School. Yeah. Been a Baptist all my life. Right. When I went to Duke, yeah. uh, most of the people who were at Duke were not Baptists like me. Their Christian experience was coming out of the Methodist Church, out of the Presbyterian Church. And what ended up happening was that in those conversations, in those dialogues, in those debates even that would take place within our— Through the power of conversation. The power of conversation was where, A, I, I felt like my, my view, my understanding of God, my understanding of, 
of of the of the the salvation moment of, uh, revealed in Jesus Christ was was really expanded in a way that 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 I that shall we say my own limited experience had never allowed yeah. to happen. But the other thing that happened was that it also helped me gain a better sense of why was it that I chose to identify myself as a Baptist. I see where you're coming from, and I think the power of conversation is what we're doing now. And we seem to be living in a time where we have large groups of people who believe in wildly different things, almost mm -hmm. opposing things. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. for example, with in the case of your mother, but in a bigger scale with yep. large swaths of the population. Yep. And it seems in this present moment to be getting us into trouble. Mm -hmm. And when I'm talking about beliefs and I'm talking about universal truths, it would seem that there's a lot at stake. And I agree. And, and I think that one of the questions that I would, that I sometimes wonder is what is getting us into trouble, our opposing point of view, or is what is getting us into trouble, how we are responding to one another in our oppo opposing points of view? Is it that Susie is a Trump supporter and Sarah is a Biden supporter? Okay. Is that the problem? Or is the problem that Susie and Sarah yell and shout at one another because one's a Trump supporter and one's a, one's a Biden supporter? I really think it's more the second. I think, I think the struggle that we are having in our culture and our society right now um, has less to do with different points of view, different perspectives, different understandings of the truth and more to do with attitudes and mindsets and say that say this is the truth i'm i know i'm right i know you're wrong and nothing you're going to say nothing you're going to do is going to change my mind so it's less to do with the belief itself but more of what team you happen to find yourself exactly on. exactly and an unwillingness to admit that we might be wrong that we might not know it all that we might not understand it all Right. And and I think that I guess what I say is it's a basic lack of humility, right. a basic lack of and a basic lack of a, of a of appreciation that I can learn something from you, right. and I would hope that you could learn something from me. And instead, we have let our differences become our identity. It's really one of the concerns that I have as I look at as I look at the modern church experience today. Um, is that my fear is that congregations of whatever particular sect, whatever particular form of Christianity or really any faith, that we would allow our, shall we say, these, these definitions that we have made that really have come from outside of our faith communities become our identity as faith communities. Um, you know, I, I've heard, I heard somebody uh, speculate a while back, they wondered if... Uh, uh, in a few years, rather than churches being identified by their denomination or by their style of worship, would they be identified by, we're a Republican church, we're a Democratic church? And to me, that would be a real shame because yeah. that would be, shall we say, we, we're establishing our identities based in what divides us. And and that's never been the the goal and the purpose of communities of faith, I think. It's not to be not to establish our identity and what divides us, but instead what we, what we hopefully ultimately believe will draw us together. 
From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week. Silence is not